another episode of the Effective Statistician and today I'm super happy to have Oliver Keen on this show and I can't believe he hasn't been on it before. A couple of years ago, we had a really, really nice discussions about estimates as part of a PSI conference where we did some kind of role play and he was one of the key person involved in preparing all of these and we had these different viewpoints from the the sponsor the regulator the hta guy and and all these kind of different viewpoints and i remember at the time i was kind of defending the hta position on s demands at that time and was strongly favoring po treatment policy <laughs> and that was and steve ruberg was the uh, patient voice and he was favoring kind of this on treatment approach because he, all the patients that he talked to said well if i take this medication to the end how will it work and so that was a really really insightful discussion and i think if you scroll back quite a lot of episodes there should be some discussion with steve ruberg about this and of course you can check out the psi video on demand uh, part i'm pretty sure it's on there as well as part of a conference so with that um hi oliver how are you doing hi alexander well first of all thank you very much for inviting me on your on your podcast and congratulations on Having 300 episodes, I think it is. Um, yeah, over 300 episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's fantastic uh, way of getting um, statistics discussed more widely uh, among people. And you covered such a such a lot of ground. You had some very eminent speakers on, so I feel privileged to be part of it. <laughs> yeah, I had honestly, I had speakers from all kind of different areas and also experience levels. Yeah from people that are new grads up to people that, you know, had decades of careers, professors, senior leaders from companies, but also kind of, you know, project statisticians, you know, that work in the trenches. So, and that, that I think, makes me really, really happy. You have, have a long career already. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah. I, well, I, I worked for over 30 years in, in the pharmaceutical industry, working for GSK as a, as a statistician. I'm now an in, independent consultant. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a, long, <laughs> a long and very varied career. I'd always, always enjoyed it. It's always been challenging. The industry has never, never stayed the same over that period. It was, it was always evolving. I always felt I was learning new things. So... Yeah, and I continue to enjoy working working in the industry. Yeah, so if you want to work with a really experienced consultant, <laughs> uh, Oliver is definitely a person to go to. And of course, I'll connect his LinkedIn uh, profile into the podcast show notes. Today, we'll talk about estimates. So, and for sure, this hasn't been, you know, the first time that we have talked about estimates. And We'll specifically talk about estimates in the situation where you have continuous endpoints collected over time. Yeah, like in the 
psychiatry, for example, you have a lot of these different uh, questionnaires, but, but could be any kind of continuous endpoint. And I remember quite some time ago, Craig Malingrod did a lot of research about different ways to estimate things like MMRM, LOCF. That was, you know, kind of about 20 years ago, a big, big topic. And at the time, he's, he was strongly favoring MMRM over LOCF and made this estimation technique a very, very yeah, prevalent thing. And it's nowadays also very easy to implement, both in R and SARS, of course. And so that has helped a lot to make it widely used. Now, recently, actually, this year in 2023, Ting published an article and advocated, yeah, for or discussed what could be kind of different estimates around this. And as a response to this, Oliver, together with a couple of other authors, David Wright, Daniel Breton, Thomas Drury, Sunita Rihal, and Ian White, so a couple of really, really famous names, responded to this. And this is what we want to talk about today. So, Oliver, from your point of view, what are what's the first most important point you have about the paper from Ting? Okay, well, well let me first of all, you know, start. You said this was a, a collaborative work, and I, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed working with my co-authors, Sunita, Dan, Tom, David, and Ian. And it, it was really great to be part of a project with, you know, people who are such experts on the subject of, of um, estimates. I mean, estimates has always been something that I've I've been really interested in, right back from when the the US NIH um, mm-hmm. published published the their their tract on on missing data. I mean, it's it's always interested me, you know, what treatment effect you're actually estimating in a in a clinical trial. And this comes back to you know even before estimates, the idea of intent to treat analysis and um, what what exactly did that mean. So I really welcome the you know the introduction of of the estimates framework. I think that's that's been really important. And obviously we saw the group was saw this article by Nate Ting, and we came together. You know this is Ian White works in academia, and all of us work for diff. Well, we work for different companies. We felt quite strongly the the article had some misconceptions about the ICHE nine estimates framework. And we felt uncomfortable with the arguments that were that were being put forward for a for a broad adoption of last observation analysis. Yeah, that is the first point. What actually is last observation analysis? I know last observation carried forward analysis, but what is the difference to last observation analysis? Well, in practice, I think the point Nate Ting makes in the article is that essentially they're the, they're the same thing. I mean, conventionally, traditionally. We've always thought of last observation carried forwards. You know, that's the idea that if somebody discontinues the treatment, you take the last observation on the treatment and use that as, you know, for future time points right through to the to the final final time point of the study. I think the, the distinction he was making was he didn't see any kind of carrying forward. That he, he sees the last observation, that is the the kind of the outcome for the patient is the last observation. So he's trying to make that that kind of 
kind of distinction. Mm. But that really then brings brings into question is that is that really a treatment a, a, an appropriate estimate for a treatment policy approach? Okay, so let's untangle this a little bit. So the first point I think is that estimation is one thing and defining the estimate is a completely different thing. What should drive what? Yes, I mean, I think current views is you define you define your estimate first and then cons- consider what's an appropriate estimation strategy for your for your estimate. Within the paper some of this gets a little confused I think between you know, starting an estimation and then kind of justifying it with a with the estimand and the strategies. I think, as you say, I think it's important to define your estimand first and then consider, you know, what are the appropriate estimation strategies? Yeah, yeah. I completely agree uh, with that. You always first need to start with your end in mind. Yeah. Yes. And yes. then it's about kind of, okay, and how do I now uh, approach that? Of course, if you then come up with something that is not estimable, then well, probably you need to go back. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that's always the you know there's always yeah. this kind of iteration between <laughs> what you would ideally like and, and and what you can what you can what you can estimate. But it, I, I don't think I mean people seem to think that, for example, that treatment policy is easy to estimate. Well, actually, it's not. When you've got missing data, it's actually one of the more it is quite difficult. Because you have to make assumptions about the missing data, so okay, yeah. Sometimes that's, that's, there's misconceptions about what's easy to estimate as well. <laughs> so, so let's dive a little bit into treatment policy here first. Yeah, okay, sure. So tra- treatment policy, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, basically speaks about you decide at the start of your treatment how exactly you will treat patients, yeah? And then you analyze accordingly. So for me, that would basically mean, okay, let's estimate, yeah, what is the outcome of a decision we make at baseline? And this decision is, okay, we start with treatment A versus we start with treatment B. Or we start with treatment A, and in case something happens, we'll do this. On or versus B, and in case something happened, we will do this. Yeah. So, for example, it could also mean we start with treatment A, and if it doesn't work, we increase the dose. Yeah. And then we observe the outcome, or we have treatment B, and if it doesn't work, we increase the dose. Yeah. But see, the, the, the policy needs to be clear, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think that's, it's an interesting the way you kind of described it, but I think I, I worry about the way the way you're thinking of treatment policy, because that assumes that that would be true if everybody followed the protocol, if everybody did what yes. was said in it, and the, the whole point of the estimate strategy is you have people who discontinue medication, who take medications that, in theory, are not allowed by the protocol. Who, once they discontinue the trial, can do what discontinue medication. They can go on to whatever medications they want. So I think it, I think that's one of the difficulties, you know, with 
um, thinking of treatment policy in that sense, in that way, in the way that you've described. I mean, I would I would worry about that. I think treatment policy more, it's better to think of it as an effective assignment. So all you're thinking of is, you know, if we originally assign uh, a patient to these, these different medications, what is their ultimate outcome? You can try and control it as much as you as you can in the protocol in terms of well if, if this doesn't happen that but in in real life as we know trials um, people discontinue their medication they don't follow what's in the protocol they don't you know yep. if, if a yep. fails they don't necessarily go on to you know uh, that true so and i think yeah, that's but, one but of the difficulties the misunderstandings about treatment policy is you're going to end up you know once people have discontinued the treatment they they can do you know it's it's the discretion of the investigator what what they get um yeah of course it is but of course you could have treatment defined as something that is based on some kind of patient post-baseline variables you have that all the time yeah so that you treat to target or things like this yeah or you have certain kind of ways to manage co-medication or things like this yeah so you could include that in your treatment decision, in your treatment, well, not in your treatment decision, in how you define treatment. Yeah. So I think that is the, in when you think about the estimate framework, one of the things you need to be really clear about is about what is treatment A? Yeah. What is that really? And it could be, well, starting with this molecule, but it could also be, a certain strategy, yeah, that you, uh, of course, if then patients or physicians deviate from this strategy, you get missing data, yeah, that is complete, I completely see that, yeah, but I think that, and then managing the, the missing data is yet another point, first you need to define what is really your treatment strategy. Yeah, but you also, I mean, just to say, you will also have data. You may not have missing data. You'll have data, yeah. but you'll have data from people who have followed <laughs> different um, treatment policies. You know, they've they've taken they've, and and yeah. your treatment policy. If you if if, if your strategy is treatment policy, you have to. That's that is the data. That's the data you've got to use, regardless of what what you know what's led them to those particular outcomes. What policy? What set of treatments they've used? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because so so if that if you say your treatment policy is treatment A, you start with that, and then whatever the uh, the physician describes or does is your treatment policy, yeah. Then you have yeah. Then you never have any missing data, of course, yeah, because you will always have complete data, and then you can analyze as you randomize. Very very easy, yeah. The drawback, of course, is that it's very, very hard then to later on describe what was, what is the treatment, yeah? especially if things change in terms of you know, background and all these kind of other things. Yeah? And you don't know at the start, of course, how many patients will deviate. Yeah? Or, or, well, they don't really deviate because you, you include any deviation in your treatment uh, definition. Yeah. So then you basically move the, the problem from the intercurrent events into the, into the treatment de definition, like what you sometimes do uh, with the composite endpoint. 
you move it into the endpoint definition. Yeah. So these are, of course, both both possible uh, scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting, you know, perhaps we can get on to talk about composite and, you know, other strategies. I think, obviously, you know, going back to the Ting paper is is very dismissive of any any strategy other than treatment policy or, or inter- interestingly, while on treatment. Um, and particularly, the, the paper is very dismissive of the hypothetical strategy. And I think sometimes that word hypothetical is kind of problematic to people because um, it sort of sounds like something that didn't happen can't you know well i'm only interested in the facts but i think <laughs> yeah, the I wording think is not really helpful not, no you know people, people react against it you know I'm, I'm a scientist i'm interested in facts i'm not interested in what might have happened but i think what i think a better way to think of a hypothetical strategy you know how i've been trying to think of it more in, more recently I mean, the important thing is it can address causal questions of what what is the treatment actually doing? You know, these I think these are important scientific questions. They're important clinical questions. I think you know because we think so much in regulatory terms and HTA terms and of, of you know what is the policy? You know, what was the effect of this policy? And you yeah. know, what would the but to an individual patient, I think and and for science as well, I think it's important to try and address questions of what does a what does that treatment itself do? What, what, what is the causal effect of that treatment? And if you think of it that way, then the, the hypothetical strategy doesn't sound so, you know, unattractive because you're actually trying to get at what does that treatment actually do? Yeah, so hypothetical strategy could be something like if I tolerate a, a tr- the treatment and everything works fine and I don't discontinue, what will be my outcome after eight weeks of treatment? Yeah. yeah. And I think this is really kind of a question about, yeah, you can make this assumption. Why not? Yeah. Why, why is that a, a, a better assumption than, than any other assumption that you're making? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I wouldn't call it an assumption as such. I mean, I think assumption might, might you know, that's a word well, I would worry about. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's a treatment effect you would be interested in. I, I would be interested in as a patient. You know, if if I'm if I'm looking at a you know a drug label, I, you know, I I worry a little bit. You know, I do take medications. I, I look at the labels, and it says you know treatment A will have this effect. You know, if I take it. But I know that that's a mixture of people who have taken the medication and people who haven't. I don't expect to, you know, <laughs> the treatment to work yeah. if I don't take it. And it's, it's it's that kind of average. It's not telling me, you know, what is the if if I'm a, if I if I take this treatment for the length of the period, you know, what can I expect in terms of benefit? Yeah. It, it doesn't tell me that. It tells me a, a policy type, you know, outcome, which will be a mix of people. Some people have taken it the whole time. Some people have gone on to other treatments. That's 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 the estimate that corresponds to a treatment policy approach, and I think there there are really interesting questions around, you know, what what if what, what effect is this treatment actually causing itself? Yeah, I think this is also especially interesting if you also think about those response things. If you think about, do you want to better understand method of action? All these kind of different things. Yeah, there's you know. Not everything that we do is a phase three study. <laughs> and so, therefore, I think there's a lot of area for, for having this as well. And as you said, even for a phase three study, yeah, from patient point of view, that could still be interesting. Yeah. 
my my main point very often is we shouldn't tell people what they should be interested in. I think we should explain people what the different things mean so they can make an informed decision about what they are really interested in. I think it's kind of, it's not very patient-centric, physician-centric, decision-maker-centric, that we are so arrogant to basically be saying, I know better what you want to hear. Yeah? No, I don't. Yeah? And so I'm absolutely in favor of, you know, describing, training, making clear that people can make an informed choice. Yeah. And so just from that point of view, yeah, I would never write a sentence like, for longitudinal data analysis, while on treatment strategy and treatment policy strategy are more appropriate than hypothetical strategy. Why? Yeah. I think they are all, you know, equally important from the get-go, and it's a personal decision what's most appropriate for you. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they address different questions. And, exactly. You know, it goes back to what we were saying, you've got to define, what, you know, what treatment effects you're interested in. And in some cases, that will be treatment policy. In some cases, that may be hypothetical. It may be composite. You know, there are situations where all of these provide treatment effects that are of interest. Yeah, yeah. There's another point about kind of this treatment policy and then kind of this that last observation is actually a valid way to look into treatment policy. What are your thoughts about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's clearly misguided. I, I mean, a treatment policy approach requires complete, requires follow-up off treatments. You can't just use the last observation as, uh, as your method of estimation. That's, I think, that's generally agreed. You know, a treatment, a treatment policy. You need, you need to to get the outcomes of the patient, and if they're missing, you've got to do some imputation or make some assumptions about what would have happened to that patient. You know, using some kind of multiple imputation strategy to try and get to get a valid estimate for a treatment policy strategy. I think what 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 What's being described when you talk about last observation actually corresponds, it's an estimation method more for a composite type strategy, I would say, if anything. I'm not necessarily saying it's a good way of estimating a composite strategy. But in some senses, you're, you know, if you're using last observation, you're penalizing people who, you know, if you say they discontinue treatment and will use their last observation. If that's a bad observation, you're kind of somehow saying, well, this is a composite and you know we're trying to trying to say discontinuation is a bad thing and for those people who discontinue we'll we'll, we'll plug in their last observation well that assumes that the patients improve yeah well we'll so, get all that this reflected that the bad you know yeah. the discontinuation part is reflected in the last observation yeah. i mean that's an argument you might make. i'm not saying I, I i agree with it but it's an argument you could make that last observation is 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 a type of estimation strategy for a composite you know you do have to make it very clear then 
we're saying discontinuation is you know putting making that part of the end point and as part of the end point you know how we're going to estimate it is to penalize it and we're going to penalize it by using the the last observation i mean that's that's the kind of argument you'd have to make but you yeah, can't I, I don't think you can say that last observation analysis is an appropriate analysis for a for treatment policy i don't think that's that's really i, th- I think my point is this you know if we look into continuous data over time, we can have two different scenarios. One is, and that is what lots of people thinking about is kind of, we have patients that have very bad symptoms at baseline, and then we give them treatment and the symptoms improve. Yeah, And then usually the patients that drop out early have least improvement. Now, there could be another scenario where patients have some kind of stable symptoms and they actually worsen over time. And the treatment delays the worsening or decreases the worsening. And then, of course, any patients that drop out early have better outcomes. Yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so I think in terms of what you penalize <laughs> depends a little bit on these two different settings. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I entirely agree. You know, and that was always one of the one of the problems. You know, if we go back in time when people were using last observation carried forward in these kind of areas where diseases get worse over time. Yeah. It's, it's not. A, I mean, it's it's not a it's not a good strategy in that sense. As you say, it wouldn't penalise people. It would actually benefit people who discontinue early. If if you're in the situation where people are getting worse, you know, as as time progresses, yes. I mean, then clearly it's not appropriate. You'd have to think of some other way of penalising. Yeah, yeah, and so that is that also clearly shows that you need to look into the clinical aspects here. Yeah. Yes. Is it is it a treat? What is usually the course of treatment? Yeah. Do you have you know a very fast response and then you know a decline thereafter, or do you have a do you look into reducing the you know worsening of symptoms? All these kind of different things you need to take into account, and you can't just say, "Well, that is better than this." It really depends on the on the clinical setup. There's this one other sep, uh, concept that King speaks about this one patient, one vote. What is your viewpoint on this and what does it actually mean? Yes, I mean, I, I think you know, it always sounds attractive, one patient, one vote. <laughs> Everybody likes to be treated equally and, and so on. I mean, I think we, we made clear in, in the article that we think one patient, one vote should be applied to the S-demand itself. So that doesn't mean to say that when you do when you do an, an estimation, you have to weight everybody equally in the analysis. It's the estimand where it's one patient, one vote as such. Um, the point here is that you might be able to estimate somebody's outcome better by using other patients' data. So when your estimation yeah. method, you can actually weight other people because because their data will give you more information about about the patient who's got the missing data, for example. So I think, again, that's and, and that's a, a, an important point. I mean, I think, you know, we're saying one patient, one vote for the estimation, not for the estimation. Yes, that is a very, very important thing. And honestly, we are not here. That's not a democratic vote. <laughs> we are interested really in understanding what's going on. 
Well, you want to find the best way of, 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 of estimation. Yeah. You know, I mean, the other point, I think, with the paper, it's very critical of, of MMRM as a method of estimation. And I think, actually, it, it can be it can be useful, particularly for treatment policy estimates, actually. You know, recent work that's been going on within the estimates implementation working group is coming up with some very good good ways of actually using MMRM for, for estimating treatment policy estimates. Where you're dividing the data into on and off treatment periods, I think I think it it, it, it worries me that well it worries us that MMRM was so heavily dismissed in this in this paper. Whereas when I think it's actually can be a very useful method of estimation. I think that speaks very much to the point of how we communicate these more complex approaches. Yeah, of course, last observation is very very easy to communicate yes yet that doesn't shouldn't make us you always use and go the easy route yeah that shouldn't be kind of just because it's easy we do it yeah yes, yes. Uh, if it's not appropriate uh, nevertheless i think as a community we can improve a lot on how we communicate to more complex approaches i have seen so many publications that speak about, oh, see, uh, estimate is, uh, is a multiple imputation estimate. And I was thinking like, what the hell have you imputed here? Yeah. <laughs> Under what assumptions? You, multiple imputation is just a very general framework. It doesn't tell you how you impute. Under which assumptions? What, when do you impute? And so on. Yeah. And so, we should go back from just, you know, just stating we have used statistical technique X, Y, Z to what does it actually tell you? Yeah. And I think that is where we as statisticians need to get from our technical into more kind of plain language. Yeah. And, yes. and explain it this way. Yes. I mean, you know, we agree, obviously agree, you know, communications is key. Um, and I think, you know, that goes back to what I was saying about the hypothetical thing. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about you know, what that's actually trying to estimate, what, what treatment effect you're targeting with a hypothetical strategy. Okay, very good. So as a final summary, what, what are kind of, what is your key takeaway for from this whole discussion about continues outcomes and estimates? Difficult question. I think it shows there's still a, a lot of debate even within the statistical community about about these issues um, and that there are still some some um, parts of the community that are, are still um, in favour of, of things like last observation, last observation carried forward. I think I think the estimates framework itself is a is a massive step forward in trying to think about how we estimate treatment effects in, in clinical trials. I think the next stage is really around, for me, is thinking about cause, you know, causal inference as well, which is a sort of not really covered that well or not covered in detail in the the ICHE9 framework. But I think that that is that's very important to me, you know, to think about causal questions as well as questions of treatment policy. Um, I think you know going forward that's going to be a, a major area where we you know as statisticians we need we need to get involved. Completely agree. There is 
still a lot of education needed within the stats community and even more outside of the statistics community. And so invest in answering and questioning what is really the problem here. In the course about estimates that I've recorded together with Kaspar Rufibach, we go a lot into this. And he always says that if, if people kind of write him a quick email about, oh, what should we do? It usually ends up in a, in a, in a meeting where he asks lots of, lots of different questions and say, first, I think we first need to really think about this a little bit more. And so it, this thought process is the biggest benefit, I think. Yeah. Because then we really get clear on what we really want rather than kind of directly going to the estimation problem. And with that completely confusing the overall problem solving technique. And all the discussions that we had today really clarifies this. So thanks a lot, Oliver, for that. And we will put the link to the references, a link to your LinkedIn page and all the other things into the show notes. So check out the show notes on theeffectivestatistician.com. Thanks so much, Oliver. Well, thank you very much, Alexander, for the opportunity.